0: And you look there, and there's Mitt Romney, and there are like 12 people there.
1: 12 dudes in suit and shirts and ties. And half of them are staffers, right? <laughs> Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Hello, hello, Liberty lovers, Liberty fans, heck, Liberty haters. I'm just glad you're here listening to this Lions of Liberty podcast and this episode, which is number 106. Now, before we get into the show today, I would be remiss to not tell you about this amazing concept of health sharing and the package that our sponsors from Health Excellence Select have put together. If you have been frustrated with your health insurance as I once was myself, Head on over to lionsofliberty.com/slash health for more information. My guest today is a New York Times best-selling author and a longtime radio personality. He is currently working on a documentary about the presidential run of a guy you may have heard of named Ron Paul. Charles Goyette, welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. I'm pleased to have you here.
0: Mark, it's great to be on your program and great to talk with you.
1: Well, Charles, I know you've been around a long time. I've read a couple of your books. I've I've heard a lot of your uh, your stuff on the radio back in the day. And uh, but it's the first time I've actually spoken with you personally, so I'm happy to do that. And I'm I'm also happy to support what you're doing here with this documentary with Ron Paul, as uh, as you know. He got this started for a lot of us, and even before the presidential runs, Ron Paul was really my first exposure to libertarianism uh, back in the early 2000s when a friend of mine just recommended me reading his column. So that that really started getting the ball rolling for me personally, but what I want to find out is how the ball started getting rolling for you when it comes to your ideas and your thoughts about liberty. So how did your political ideas first begin to take shape?
0: You know, even as a youngster, Mark, I had, I guess, a freedom bias, a liberty bias. I thought, you know, things like uh, the communist suppression of uh, much of the world was an outrage. The Berlin Wall was an offense, an indignity, an offense against uh, all human beings, I felt. But there wasn't really much of a a libertarian movement back back in those days of the Cold War. In fact, uh, I think modern libertarians today might even be surprised, you know, how— How much a libertarian, a great libertarian like Hayek, leaked on some of the issues because we were so we were so far back, the conversation about libertarianism had 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 been so retarded. But uh what what the Inquisitive, I believe, soon found during the Cold War, and I was something of a Cold War warrior at the time, in uh, for example, in high school years and so on, what you soon discovered if you were willing to turn over a few rocks during the Cold War, was that we were squandering the fabulous and growing wealth of the, uh, the American people out of the left-hand pocket on this military behemoth, presumably to, uh, to offset, presumably countered at the Soviet Union, but out of, the, out of the right-hand pocket at the same time, we were massively subsidizing the Soviet Union I mean it, the closer you look the uglier this stuff got meanwhile we had a foreign policy that was holding the american people a defense policy that was holding us the american people the civilians ransom in a way to uh, you know some sort of a, a nuclear nightmare and it was awfully peculiar that the federal government conceived in the idea or the uh, representation that it was there to do something on behalf of the American people, the federal government found it was fine to defend itself, to have treaty exemptions that allowed it to have, for example, uh, when the Soviets had thousands of ballistic missiles pointed at the United States, oh, they could defend the White House, but they couldn't defend the American people. I mean, all of this stuff started adding up. And then I I think a lot of uh, would-be libertarians back in those days would uh, find themselves allied with uh, the conservative movement in in the Republican Party, and some of us, you know, I mean, as a teenager, you're allowed to be a little bit naive about things, and I actually believed when the Republicans gathered and they talked about their, you know, their devotion to the Constitution. I I actually thought that maybe they meant it when they talked about fiscal conservatism.
1: What a crazy idea that politicians know, might actually just, mean what they say.
0: Well, it was a uh, it was a great it was a great eye opener, but. That was the eye-opener of uh, of my era. You know, the eye-opener of a later era was people, you know, that might have looked at the Constitution and, and re- realized that it called for a declaration of war when we went into Iraq, but uh, the people stood by silently when Bush said, I'm the decidifier, I'm the one that gets to decidify whether we go to war or not. So, you know, every, every era, every news cycle, uh, every major policy uh, issue, you know, uh, should peel the scales away from the eyes of the benighted who don't really realize what a reprehensible institution the state can be.
1: It's so crazy to me, just touching on, on that Cold War thing. I mean, we we always hear the the sort of historical narrative about how Ronald Reagan built up the military and all this stuff and and made the, the Soviet Union collapse upon itself. But at the same time, that that administration was sending a ton of money, millions and millions of dollars to the Soviet Union. And it never really made sense to me. It was almost as if it was just the kind of a giant game to, to keep this sort of global quote-unquote war going when really it was just kind of what we're seeing today with the war on terror. It was an excuse in many ways to fund the crony capitalists and the military industrial complex. You always need to have that sort of enemy, that, that force out there, whatever it may be, for us to shovel as much money as possible to, to these companies so they can continue to justify the creation of new armaments and that kind of thing.
0: Bingo. I mean, it was a massive transfer of wealth from the American people into uh, the, the pockets of cronies and the misrepresentations. That the CIA was making about the might of uh, the Soviet Union, for example, there's no question that they uh, they were bristling with uh, with weaponry. But the truth is that you know that I mean we realize now those of us that are students of Austrian economics, for example, realize that they had no way they had no price structure. You know we get uh, we we realize that uh, economists in the Kremlin were using you know. uh, Old Sears catalogs from the United States to kind of impute prices of things because they had no way of knowing, you know, what was dear and what was cheap, and how to uh, how to prioritize purchasing and and uh, what would be purchased at the expense of what was foregone and stuff. They had no basis for rational economic calculation. So the, you know, by deep into the Cold War in the seventies, I think they had a nineteen twenty one style telephone switchboard system in moscow i mean you know it was it was an economic calamity subsidized uh, in part by the west including by the american uh, taxpayer the cia was lying to us about uh, the might of uh, these people and uh so you know we, we certainly need some cold war revisionism
1: for sure and one guy who was uh you know not afraid to be a revisionist uh, in many ways not even not just on foreign policy in the past, but on the the current foreign policy of the time. And that was our man, Ron Paul, a guy who inspired so many of us to not just necessarily re-examine our philosophy, although he certainly did that. But uh, in, a, in a deeper way, I think he gave a lot of people the, the sort of the bravery to speak out. Here's this guy on national television saying all these crazy things that really are crazy to people that believe in this stuff, that believe in individual liberty, that believe in individual rights. And, and here he is on the national stage. Whereas, you know, before Ron Paul, before I saw that, I always thought that being a libertarian meant just sort of a uh, having these thoughts to myself, sort of being annoyed by the government, and uh, just kind Of like hanging out on my own and not really doing much else with it. It was only when Ron Paul came about that I started to go, oh, wait, this is a real thing that other people believe in, and I can actually do what he's doing. Maybe not on the same stage. I won't, I don't picture myself on a a Republican presidential stage anytime soon, but there are ways that each of us can all speak out, and that's certainly something you've been doing for a long time. Uh, And before we get into this documentary that you're doing on Ron Paul, I'm kind of curious how you got a little bit more about your radio career. So, how did you take your sort of political beliefs and how are you able to translate that into a very successful? career in radio
0: Yeah, you well, know, i have a very very strange past because uh you know for example uh during the clinton years the conservative uh you know radio stations were very happy to have me you know we uh, we libertarians sometimes make common cause with uh, different factions different interests and different persuasions on uh, on different points so and and yet during the bush years All of a sudden I became persona non grata when uh, Bush took us into his elective war.
1: Did you call yourself a libertarian at the time or was that just kind of your bent or were you just sort of a host? I'm curious how much the network thought about your actual philosophical beliefs.
0: I never made a big thing about it. In other words, I never said, you know, this is your libertarian talk show. I'm your libertarian right. host. And, you know, but I, you know, I would just say in conversation, oh, that's a wonderful libertarian idea. Of course, people need to be free. It's or, you know, who are these people that think that they can tell your grandmother what she can take to relieve her pain? You know, isn't this the land of the free, the home of the brave? What are we doing as Americans, as libertarians, letting uh, sheriffs someplace or federal bureaucrats tell your grandmother what she can do? So I, I would bring it up conversationally, but I, I certainly, and I, I've never had any real allegiance to uh, any political party structure, even the libertarian party structure. So I just would refer to it in a philosophical term. I thought maybe I would uh, win my way into the hearts of the listeners who would examine the ideas as they came up one by one without uh, believing that they had been compartmentalized into something that perhaps somebody had told them along the way was, you know, these are anarchists of very dangerous people.
1: Let's fast forward a little bit towards, I guess, the end of your Clear Channel career. As you mentioned, uh, as George Bush came into office, you were no longer the uh, maybe the ally of conservatives that they might have thought you were when you were criticizing Clinton. It's the thing we find as libertarians, where some people like us when we're criticizing the one side, and then they're they're perplexed when suddenly we've, in their minds, maybe changed sides. When really we never changed sides. We were just always consistently criticizing everyone who was anti freedom. Uh, That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've been the same the whole time. Uh, but but how did this actually go down? Where you found yourself, uh, I guess, being asked to leave the network. I'm not sure if you would, call, if it became a resignation or if they outright fired you. But you did uh, end up having to step down from your role as a host on Clear Channel, basically due to your your views on the Iraq War. So why don't you kind of break down how that all played out?
0: Yeah, and and at the risk of boring you, I'll give you one or two details that I suppose, you know, to somebody like me that was actually you know, involved in the situation. I found uh, I found really interesting. I remember when I signed a contract with clear channel I didn't want to sign one to begin with I just you know kind of had a market approach as long as you guys treat me well and as long as you're happy with me you know we'll just be fine going forward but, oh no they had to get me on a contract they this that the other and uh, and so my boss with whom I was very friendly um, you know was was under tremendous pressure from their senior management and the national talk wing of the uh, the organization to get me on a contract yeah get, get me on you know we I'd been with them for a while it was a known factor in the uh, in the marketplace but I'd been with them for a while and they you know the ratings had been just uh, smashing and they were desperate management was desperate to get me on a contract so finally I said okay we'll get a contract and we went through two or three revisions you know well let's change this let's change that this is just a peculiarity to me i mean it's probably not interesting to a lot of people but i thought at the last minute one of my friends wonderful talk show host had a contract that because of his family life he had a contract that you know i'll do virtually any anything you know during the course of this three-year or five-year contract except i do not want to do mornings so i won't do a radio show that you know that uh starts before eight o'clock A.M. It's just a provision so that he didn't have to be up at three thirty, right? It just didn't fit with his life and getting his kids off to school. So on about the third draft of our contract, I said, Well, well look, I want one more term in there, you know, that of course if there's the never ending dimpled chat election, I'll stay on. If there's breaking news, I'll stay on. And I would without Without question, I'd stay on the air, you know, for marathon sessions of, you know, five, six, seven, eight hours when something was going on l- late into the night, long past my afternoon drive slot. Um, happy to do it. But I said, let's get a provision in there that I don't do a radio show after, uh, uh, let's say, seven o'clock at night. I mean, you could stick me on morning drive if you want, middays, wherever you want. But, and the answer was this. Mark the answer was, "Oh no, Charles, we pay you far too much money for nighttime, you know, when people are watching TV and radio ratings are down." We Don't worry about that. That well, let's get that on paper. No, no, I've got to get I'm getting so much heat. So I said, "Okay, I'll just I'll just sign the thing." And that was the third draft and it dragged on. Let's okay, so let's get it signed. So when the uh when the war broke out, I made myself uh, persona non grata on the radio station by questioning the war. And it wasn't just questioning it. I mean, you if you could hardly be a regular listener of the Charles Goyette show in, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and still believe the lies and the misrepresentation. Because I mean, we demolished them. And I say we, you know, because I sought out people with expertise on virtually every lie that the state made, you know, everything about aluminum tubes for, oh, aluminum tubes. Wasn't that a good one? So Judith Miller goes to, uh, Scooter Libby and Dick Cheney, and they leak stories to her about these aluminum tubes that Iraq has acquired, and these aluminum tubes are used for centrifuges for their nuclear weapons program, and so she publishes the story, and it's on the front page of the New York Times on a Sunday morning. And then Dick Cheney shows up in the presence of the lapdog press. He shows up on meet the press that same Sunday morning. And he says, yeah, aluminum tubes, weapons, mushroom cloud. We're all going to die because the be
1: scary words. I'm just going to say scary words.
0: <laughs> and he says, but don't take it from me. Here it is. And he holds up the paper. Here it is on the front page of the New York Times, the self-same story that they had leaked. Unreal. To their, uh, their operative, Judith Miller. And so, I mean, it just, you know, it was all balderdash, and it was so easy to explode. And, you know, people, all the representations about, oh, the you know, the, the weapons inspectors couldn't find anything because it's hidden in the basement at some, you know, Iraqi nuclear scientist's house. You know, these industrial weapon programs are huge industrial undertakings, you know, requiring precision equipment purchased from here and abroad. And, it, you know, it's just so, none of it, I mean, you, it was so easy to explode the line. To and blow up the myths and so on. And uh, I did that on a regular basis. And of course, this uh, soon had, you know, this was an era of chest thumping, flag waving, you know, we support the troops, brass bands and so on and so forth. You know, we always bring out the brass bands and we chest thump and we turn out for the parades and the martial celebrations and the flyovers when we send the boys off to fight. But when they come home broken and beaten and battered, Then uh, we we kind of forget them. So we were sending them off. So it was all a very glorious time for the state lovers, and uh, it was an inglorious time for me. And even my colleagues started calling me things like, you know, he's obviously a terrorist lover, you know. And I I mean, it just it was. They might have even called you a liberal. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, you know, but, the, but I mean, it was a very hard place to be because I was sandwiched in uh, my lead-in show was Rush Limbaugh, and the show on the other side of me was Sean Hannity. So you had these, you know, these these uh, megaphone warmongers on both sides, and I'm stuck right in the middle. It wasn't bound to... Uh, to end very well, but you know, management uh, had liked me. They had wonderful plans for me. They treated me absolutely great until this, and they started, you know, making uh, demands that I change my tune. And of course, you know, I, I mean, I don't know what self-respected person would do that. There's nothing great about me, but what well, they suggest you know, that
1: you just he, suddenly change your stance? yeah I mean what
0: what hey this war looks pretty good to me now, right
1: right <laughs> you, know? you know what so, guys i thought it I thought it through over the weekend, and yeah let's
0: <laughs> go let's do this thing and uh failing that, I could at least shut up i don't know how you could be a talk show host and during the uh the biggest story of uh two thousand and two and two thousand and three and simply not mention it, you know that was untenable, but it was even it was even worse because you know all the other guys were having a good time uh, pummeling me, and i you know i've actually i've actually a long time ago, been a radio station owner, had a wonderful career as a uh, a radio programmer. And, of course, what any, you know, self-respecting radio programmer would probably have done during that era was was said to their audience and pr- produce promotions and the other talk shows, you know, Charles Goyette's really off the reservation. He, he doesn't get it about this Iraq war. Why don't you listen to him this afternoon and afternoon drive and figure out, you know, what he's missing about this? Oh, it could have been a bonanza for him but instead they chose to you know they chose to shred me and and so to make a a, a much too long story shorter mark uh, um basically they had just renewed my contract they had just renewed it at their option not mine and they had just paid me a ratings bonus when uh, suddenly it was you know, well, if you're not going to shut up, we're going to move you to nights. Now, let me harken back to the beginning of our story Hi. when I said, you know, let's do this contract says, you know, uh, um, you know, while I'll be a company person and help when it's needed. You know, uh, no regular talk show after about 7 o'clock at night because I had kids at school and stuff like that. And, and And so when I brought that up, it was like, Charles, I don't know what you're talking about. That doesn't ring a bell at all. Right. So they stuck they stuck me away at night you know the the honorable thing to do i suppose would have been you know just pay off my contract and and uh give me the boot but you know they were paying me a sizable amount of money and and i suppose if there were was a minority that agreed with me they didn't want me to just you know disappear in the soviet style in the middle of the night somewhere <laughs> in the lubyanka prison so they stuck me away with the audiences were were much much smaller and i could do much much less harm you know mark that's basically the story and it got to, it got to the point You know, where I thought, well, I'm just not going to be marginalized and forgotten in this process when my contract uh, ends you know, then then I will, you know, I will simply be forgotten having been marginalized in this way. So as my colleagues, you know, kept blasting me as being, you know, some obvious, well, his name's French, obviously, he's (laughs) anti-American and stuff. He's he's an appeaser, he's a cheese-eating surrender monkey and stuff. So at some point I said, okay, I've had enough of this. And I wrote an article for the American Conservative called How to Lose Your Job in Talk Radio. And I laid most of it, not all of it, but I laid most of it pretty bare i told somebody the story the other day that i hadn't thought of in a long time but one of the uh, national executives this was the big this was a big talk radio executive every major talk show host in america would know this guy's name guy calls me during this period when things are getting ugly and he's trying to you know he's trying to you know charles maybe you could you know maybe you could position it differently <laughs> maybe you know and uh, he said in the course of our conversation he he said you know the truth is Charles that I actually agree with you about the war and I thought oh that was really good to hear because I had colleagues and friends in in the the, the industry in the hallway of this complex this big broadcasting complex of a bunch of radio stations you know that w- they would see me coming and they kind of duck out of the way so they didn't get tainted by being in my company it was that it was it was a very ugly period death threats from my kids, I had a, a file of death threats from the chest thumpers and, you know, the warmongers and stuff. It was a very ugly period. But anyway, so this executive, you know, he leaks to me just in conversation unintentionally that he basically agreed with me. He called me at home late that same night and he said, Charles, whatever you do, I was I told you that in confidence. Please don't tell anybody that I agree with you about the war. You know, but everybody was cowed. I mean, we had, we had widespread fear that you would be dixie chicked. You know, if uh, if you know, if you said your piece, if you questioned the administration, and isn't this the age-old way? You know, your patriotism uh, is on the line. If you don't think that the war against non-existent uh, WMDs that will further polarize and destabilize a very dangerous part of the world, as we are so clearly finding out these days, and bankrupting the American people along the way, if you don't believe that that is a a good policy, then you must be an America hater who hates America first. And that was the tenor of the time. So. Um, so in, in my case, I'm sorry, Mark, for going on so long.
1: No, please. This is exactly the, the kind of stuff I'm interested in hearing about. Cause you could have easily just gone along to get along. You could have looked at that contract and said, you know what, these guys are giving me a good sum of money here. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do what they want. You know, I don't need to be talking about this Iraq war stuff. I mean, it's, it's probably going to happen anyway. You easily could have done the, the easy thing and, and done that, but you, you kind of stuck your foot in the ground and said, no, 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 this is wrong. And I, and I'm going to, I'm going to say what's right.
0: Well, I was, anyway, I was damaged goods, and uh, the other leading talk station that wasn't owned by Clear Channel had been, you know, kind of dangling bait in front of me until the war thing came around. And, you know, I was under contract, but we said we could have a conversation down the road. But in any event, once my contract finally expired and they cut me loose, I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to go away with my tail tucked between my legs. I'm not going to disappear. So I ended up, I ended up, uh, you know, going on, uh, you know, second tier radio stations, you know, they had a fraction of the audience. They weren't afraid. They thought whatever I bring would be good for them and better than what they had, you know? So, so I ended up staying on the air and I, and my own personal resolve is I'm going to stay on the air one way or another. I'm not going to be cowed. Maybe I'll be, you know, professionally humiliated by being on, you know, second or third tier radio stations now, but I'm going to stay on the air until most of the American people get it about uh, the Iraq war. And so, um, and the funny, here's the funniest thing, because you started off asking me about, you know, how we make strange bedfellows or, you know, how libertarians find themselves, you know, with one orientation or another. So help me, the uh, if anybody remembers them, it's uh, nine or 10 years old now, but Air America was the liberal talk radio network that started up about the same time. had guys like Al Franken and Rachel Maddow and stuff were part of it. And the Phoenix affiliate of Air America hired me to be mornings. They thought, you know, oh, this would be great. We'll get this guy. You know, he'll be okay with our audience because he's so clearly opposed to Bush's elective war. He'll be okay. And then uh, the other stuff will be just like excess baggage. We'll try to (laughs) overlook it along, (laughs) along the way. So... It was a, it, but you know, that turned out to be the happy hunting grounds for me for a period doing a radio show on air America. Cause it was all people that didn't, you know, work crazy about Bush, the Bush administration and the Bush lies, the Bush war. And so it was a happy, I, w- I felt like, uh, I converted, I made more libertarians out of that liberal audience than I had ever made libertarians out of the conservative audience. So it's just, you know, there's no poll or anything. It's just a, a kind of a guess. So I, I, I was a little reluctant to do it, but uh, it ended up being a lot of fun.
1: Sure, I mean I'm out here in California, like we talked about before the show, and uh, you know I, I often find I'm able to to reach common ground easier with progressives in many ways than I am with conservatives and it obviously depends on the subject i mean if i'm talking about health care and i talk about why obamacare is bad i don't get very far with progressives but <laughs> when i talk about anti-war stuff and and being against the war on drugs that's the kind of stuff that they can get right in and if you can start agreeing with people on a few issues at least if nothing else they start to see that you are a reasonable person you're not just whatever stereotype of a republican or even a stereotype of a libertarian that they might think you are and then you can actually start to have a reasonable conversation and influence people Charles, I'm looking forward to hearing more about what you have planned for this documentary. But first, I need to take a minute out to talk about our sponsors over at Health Excellence Select. Believe me, guys, I know nobody likes dealing with health insurance companies. It's bad enough that you're sick, but now, thanks to the ACA, you're forced to pay for all sorts of coverage you don't even want or need, and the odds are you are indeed paying for it. I was frustrated too until I did some research and found out about health sharing, where like minded, health conscious individuals get together to cover each other's medical costs. And now the fine folks at Health Excellence Select have taken it to another level with a complete healthcare service. Combining health sharing with personal care assistance to help you find the doctors that you need at the best price, 24-7 phone access to physicians, along with discounts on dental and vision. And if that wasn't enough, they even have a website that works, if you can believe that. Guys, if you are struggling with a solution to your health care needs, look no further than Health Excellence Select. For more information, head on over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. On the subject of influencing people, there's really, as we discussed, no one who's influenced people more, at least in recent history, uh, when it comes to libertarian ideas, than Ron Paul. So let's let's talk about this documentary for a bit here. How did you actually come up with the idea for this documentary? Did you, did Dr. Paul approach you? Did you approach him? What, what made you uh, think that, all right, this is something that really needs to get done here?
0: Well, you know, I kind of felt it was thrust upon me because uh, he and I had been doing uh, a national radio commentary that was syndicated by... Uh, the same people that syndicate Laura Ingram's national show and stuff. And we'd been doing twice a day radio commentary. We're on 125 radio stations and it, you know, it had a a pretty good run. And um, that was, that was going to wind down. I mean, it had run its life of, uh, of two years. And actually I think I, I certainly know I was welcoming a, a break because it was uh, you know my my objective in in uh, doing that thing with dr paul was to leverage his time in other words here we have the most effective champion of liberty of the modern era how do we get the most out of him? And I thought, being a radio guy, well, I'll get him on a whole bunch of radio stations. I won't take any of his time to do it. I'll take you know a couple of minutes of his time, and then I'll do all the other work and the editing, and you know, I'll do all the writing. I'll do make. I'll make everything work. So a few minutes of Doctor Paul, and we'll get you know thousands of people in uh, Washington, and Boston, and Houston, and San Francisco, and you know, radio stations all over the country hearing him twice a day. So you d- you didn't have to just be lucky and happen to catch him on you know, I don't know, on uh, CNN, you happen to catch him on Neil Cavuto show or happen to catch him on TV. But every single day, whatever your routine at the same time, when you were shaving in the morning or, you know, picking up the kids after school or coming home uh, uh, from work every single day at the same time, Ron Paul would be there commenting on the issues of the day. Once in the morning drive, once in the afternoon drive, day in and day out. And I thought that'd be a pretty effective. Well, we were coming to the end of that and, um, I thought, well, I've got other things to do, but somehow this idea that the gains of the Ron Paul revolution in, you know, 2008 and 2012, well, you lived it, you know, those were pretty heady times for those of us that love liberty, because it looked like, you know, we had, we had armies marching on our behalf and we had, you know, I mean, it was just, it was, it was a wonderful time, you know, resources were pouring in to help Dr. Paul spread the word and conventional politicians of both parties were scratching their heads in befuddlement. How does he raise this money and where does he get these people that are, you know, I remember a picture of Mitt Romney having uh in 2012, having a rally at one of the colleges in the, I guess in the, uh, the arena, the basketball arena or something. And you look there and there's Mitt Romney and there's, you know, there are, there are like, like 12 people there,
1: 12 dudes in suit and shirts and ties. And that's and half of them are staffers, Right. <laughs> And so,
0: and then, you know, and then Ron Paul shows up and they're hanging from the rafters and beating down the door. So it was, heady times I thought, well, you know, how do we capture that? How do we engrave that? How do we chisel that into stone so that the contributions, you know, so that it's not two steps forward, one step back, but the contributions of uh, the Ron Paul revolution get consolidated so that the national news media doesn't get to write the narrative of those times and so on, that the brand of Ron Paul by the way doesn't get diluted meaning it was you know well ron paul's you know he didn't think the war was a good idea but he was okay with raising the defense budget or something you know i mean i didn't want any of that nonsense to adulterate you know the accomplishments of ron paul and i thought that this stuff needed to be consolidated and put in a package not only for the people that helped in 2008 and 2012 but for the the people to come ron's Really, really proud of the impact that he had on on young people and students, and he has some very helpful insights, I think, into what what the future may hold and where. Where the freedom movement may go in America, he's 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 congenitally really optimistic about that stuff. And I thought, you know, that needs to be that needs to be threaded through the story, so people that were involved in it will see where it went. But 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 even furthermore, so that that uh, you know, political science professors in junior colleges, you know, six or seven years down the road, can show a video. To their classes to show what this thing was all about that really changed the national conversation in America. So I thought all that needed to be done. And I, you know, I, it, it really wasn't something that I said, oh, boy, I can't wait to make a documentary and spend a year of my life on this. And But it was like, you know, Charles my voice says to me this thing really does need to be done and you don't want to let somebody you know you don't want you don't want some conservative organization with deep pockets to it and they'll say you know ron was really good as a fiscal conservative but he was <laughs> out of his gourd about uh, you know the war he didn't understand terrorism or
1: dinesh d'souza presents the ron paul story or something <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> I no well, offense so, to him oh but it would have been a different movie i'm sure
0: oh uh. Yeah, that's exactly what I didn't want to happen, and so I talked to Ron about it and said, "I, you know, I think I need to do this, and he said, well, I've been approached a lot of times to do something like this, and I have, uh, I have uh, n- never agreed to do so, but if you're going to do it, I'll... You know, I'll give you all the time necessary and uh, make myself available to it and so on. And, and uh, he has. And so that's kind of where we are. So, Mark, here's what I decided to do. I mean, I decided to kind of throw it into the marketplace. You know, I, I worked on uh, some of those money bombs. In the Ron Paul revolution, you know, I hosted doing exactly what you're doing right now. You know, I hosted some of the online shows when people would, you know, go go to the website and see how much they raised and they see their name flash by on the screen when they made their contribution. And we kept conversation, you know, we'd talk with people, the supporters of Ron and Ron and stuff. And, uh, I... I played a role in, uh, in. I certainly wasn't an organizer, but I, when I was called on to help, I said, "Yeah, I'm glad to help." So with that model, I thought, "Okay, let's test the marketplace. If uh, there's a market for a Ron Paul documentary, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna crowdfund it the same way that uh, we did the money bombs. I'm gonna, you know, say if the if the Ron Paul supporters, you know, are, are willing to fund this thing, you know, make donations and, and so on, then uh, then the thing will be done. But I'm not gonna go. The traditional route, and I'm not going to partner with a media corporation, and I'm not going to, you know, go to a a, a network, or a, I'm not going to go to any of those people And the, you know, I mean, as you can imagine, I have a, you know, a pretty clear idea about, you know, what it's like some of these big corporations and how they try to control the storyline, so... I I simply didn't want to do that. So that's where we are. I have a Kickstarter campaign to fund the Ron Paul revolution. I'm leveraging the money. I'm going to make, you know, as a true fiscal conservative, I'm going to make the most of it that I possibly can. I've got to... You know, good people making kind of equity contributions of, uh, of uh, equipment and, you know, editing facilities and much, much more to it. And so my cash needs are, in the scope of things, to make a theatrical quality feature-length documentary in the scope of things, my, my actual cash needs are, are really quite moderate. I'm looking to raise $285,000. And uh, so we launched it a week ago, I guess a week ago today. And uh, we're going to run for 30 days and see, see where we
1: come out. Sure. And by by the time this airs, it will be, I think you'll have two full weeks left in the Kickstarter campaign. So, I mean, it's great. It's being produced by Charles Goyette, who, if you've listened to this interview, if you've ever listened to him in the past, you know is legitimate, a legitimate libertarian, a guy who really does believe in this philosophy. And he's not going to present anything but a true and a principled vision of what Ron Paul did accomplish. And is this primarily going to focus then on um, on his two presidential runs or just on the first one? Or what's the main focus going to be?
0: Yeah. In truth, I, you know, a lot of the material will have to come out of the two presidential runs, but I'm glad you asked me that because I want to be clear that this isn't a biography. I got on one of the local TV stations to say, oh, this local, you know, local man, Charles Goetz making a biographical film about Rom. No, I'm not. It's not about, you know, where, where, uh, you know, where he went to school and where he grew up and, you know, his wife is a wonderful person, but it's not about where he met his wife. This is about his battle with the empire of lies that's not just the working title that is the real title of the documentary so it's not a biography it's uh it's about a battle with the uh, the state in its most cruel manifestations you know the economic lies of the state and the you know the war lies of the state and the national surveillance state lies of the state and so it's a and it's told uh from the perspective really in a sense you could say i'm using ron paul's experience in the campaigns and the the ideas that he championed uh, as the, the multiple pivot points from which to tell different parts of, uh, of the story. So it's really, you know, he's, it, it, he'll go down in history for having coined that phrase in one of his recent books that truth is treason in the empire of lies. So this is a documentary about the empire of lies told because of Ron Paul's great uh, service championing uh, freedom and challenging the empire.
1: Well, Charles, I certainly look forward to this documentary. I know that it's going to get funded because we got a great grassroots. But why don't you just take a second to let everyone know where they can find the Kickstarter specifically here. And we'll, of course, link to this in the show notes for this episode, which will be at lionsofliberty.com slash 106. So head over there to find out all the notes you need to find this Kickstarter. But why don't you give everyone the quick roundup of where they can find the Kickstarter, where they can find Charles Goyette's work, and how they can get in touch with you.
0: Yes, thank you. The easiest way is to go to Kickstarter. If you're familiar with it, go to Kickstarter and just put in uh, Ron Paul or Empire of Lies. You could do a Google search, Empire of Lies Kickstarter. You can go to my webpage, charlesgoyette.com, G-O-Y-E-T-T-E. Empire of Lies is the title of uh, the documentary. It is a Kickstarter campaign to raise money. We have a lot of great uh, rewards and gifts. You know, a lot of people in this movement have uh, joined in. They're contributing, you know, autographed copies of uh, of their books to people who make donations. You know, people like Tom Woods and Lou Rockwell, David Stockman, and many others have uh, provided autographed copies of their books. Uh, we have some other fun gifts, coffee, cups that, you know, with our our—we have— I think a pretty uh, impressive-looking poster for the Empire of Lies. We have coffee cups and T-shirts with our artwork on it. Empire of Lies. We have, uh, uh, oh, Dr. Paul has agreed to a private dinner with our biggest uh, donors uh, so if you go to a Kickstarter "Empire of Lies," you'll see the the thank yous. They're simply thank you gifts. They're, some of it's you know just like bling that you know we want to say you know we want to say thank you for whatever size donation you're able to make to help us in this effort. But the real reward, of course, is something much bigger, and that is. You know, to move the conversation uh, and not just the conversation, but to move the entire culture in which we live to one of greater and greater freedom. That means greater and greater prosperity, greater and greater opportunity, greater and greater peace.
1: And thanks to people like you and thanks to people like Dr. Ron Paul. We have the ability to do that now. We have the ability to spread this information out there. We have have podcasts like this where we can get the word to so many people. And I think your documentary, especially knowing that you're going to produce it in such a professional, slick manner, that uh, I think it really has a chance to open up even more eyes than than Dr. Paul did in his... And it's sort of his live run I guess so Charles thank you so much for joining me today I'm so happy that this documentary is getting produced the second I saw the promo for it I got excited and contacted you right away to, to be on the show to discuss it so please do consider contributing to this Kickstarter if you want to see this documentary if you're if you're someone who's listening to this show I imagine you're someone who probably wants to see this documentary as well so please head over to uh, the Kickstarter and check that out Charles wish you the best of luck and we'll keep everybody updated on, on the progress
0: Mark, thank you so much for your help, and thank you for being a great champion of liberty.
1: Do my best, Charles. Thanks a lot, man. Take care. Thank you, sir. All right, I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited to see Empire of Lies, this documentary. It really was a magical time for for libertarians or people libertarian-leaning, or many people that didn't even realize that they were libertarians or had those ideas until they saw Ron Paul on that stage, challenging guys like Rudy Giuliani, challenging guys like John McCain, challenging all the representatives of the Empire of Lies. And, And look... I don't agree with Ron Paul on everything. I think the more I delve into philosophy, the more I criticize the positions of just about everyone out there. And, and there are certainly areas where I don't agree with Ron Paul completely and wholly, just like there are areas I don't agree with just about anyone I've ever spoken with on the show. There's always differences we have with people. But I mean, the most important thing is really getting people politically engaged and getting them at least down that right path down the path to reasoned thinking, down the path to looking deeper than just the platitudes of politicians, down the path of individual liberty and that's what we promote here on this show twice a week every monday and thursday you can find us at lions you can find us on itunes stitcher have i promoted our social media lately i don't even know facebook.com slash lions of liberty find us over on the old twitter at lions of liberty you can join our facebook group the facebook forum our lions of liberty facebook forum we'll link to that again in the show notes lions of slash 106 and But that's what Ron Paul did, really, during his presidential runs in 2008 and 2012. He inspired people. He inspired people by being different, by not just saying the same slogans we hear. America, America's great. Woo. The war on drugs. The war on terror. The same old crap we hear from all these politicians' mouths. And here's this guy, this 70-something-year-old man, up on stage saying the craziest stuff. But it's not crazy stuff. It only sounds crazy to people who have been hearing the same political garbage spewed out for years and years and years. But luckily, we had this guy, Ron Paul who really did wake a lot of people up. I know he really inspired me to get more politically active, to be more outspoken politically, to talk to people wherever I go about politics, about liberty, and eventually to create this website, lionsofliberty.com, with some like-minded friends of mine from Penn State University, the Nittany Lion. That's where the lions come from, for anybody that's, that's new to the show that might not be aware of that. I hope that to inspire people, not not like Ron Paul, necessarily, I don't know, I think it would be very difficult to replicate what Ron Paul did, but you know, we can all do things to inspire People to think differently in our daily lives, in our daily conversations, in our conversations with mom and dad. You don't have to produce a podcast. You don't have to have a website. Uh, that stuff all helps too, though. And it's important that we're doing that. It's important we don't just whimsically remember the time of Ron Paul as a good old time and then we went back to the standard political dialogue. No, 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 no. We cannot allow that to happen, folks. We have to keep this conversation moving forward and we have to keep the ideas of liberty out there. And one way to do that. By helping fund this documentary, helping fund Empire of Lies, and showing people that might not have been around, maybe they were too young during the Ron Paul campaigns, show them what this guy did and help expose the Empire of Lies and hopefully lead some people down that path towards the ideas of liberty, which we, of course, strive to advance each and every day at lionsofliberty.com. And... Twice a week here at the Lions of Liberty podcast. There are so many places you can find the show everywhere you find podcasts. Of course, you can hear us on the weekends, too, at libertytalk.fm and throughout the week at the Liberty Radio Network, lrn.fm. There's really no excuse not to listen, folks, unless you just don't like the sound of my voice. And, hey, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do. It is what it is. I am who I am, and I'm a guy who loves liberty, and I hope you do too. And hey, maybe you're just curious, maybe just learning about this stuff from me on the show for the first time. And if so, I hope you'll keep coming back. And until then, folks, come on, join me. Join me. Live long and live free. Truth is treason in the empire of lies. That's a good point.
0: I